Hey everyone, again, I'm Pastor Chris. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Guess what? Next Sunday, June 7th, we open up our campus for in-person worship. I hope you're just as excited as I am. Now, obviously, things are going to look a little bit different on our campus. We're going to do our very best to create an environment where people feel safe and comfortable for worship. But if you're sick, if you're immune compromised, if you're vulnerable, if you care for those who are, we're going to continue to encourage you just to stay home and to watch our services online. But most importantly, whether you join us in person or online, we're going to challenge you to keep taking those next steps in your own journey of faith. And join us here at Coastal as we continue to share and experience the life and love of Jesus with Charleston and the world. And not only will we, will we be back in the building next week on June 7th, but we're going to be kicking off a new sermon series, a favorite summer tradition here at Coastal called At The Movies. Now the tagline for this series this year is, Coming to a Home Near You. Um, At The Movies is a, uh, a series where we use current or popular movies as a hook or a springboard to talk about spiritual truth. And this year, we're going to be using movies that you can watch from home online on Amazon or Netflix. In fact, uh, instead of movie tickets, we're going to be giving away $5 gift cards, $5 Amazon gift cards to all first-time guests and the friend who invited them. So start thinking now and praying for uh, those people that you're going to be inviting to join us in this new series. Now, let's talk about today for just a moment. As I said earlier, we're wrapping up this series called Women of the Word today. Now, it'd be very natural for me to say, and we save the best for last. But the truth is, this has been an awesome series, and each one of these women have done a great, great job. In fact, I'd love for you to leave a a comment in our chat section, just a little word of appreciation for these women and for this series. Now, today's speaker is Morgan Wessel. And uh, Morgan and her husband, Toby, they've been a part of our church coastal uh, for over five years now. Morgan and her family have been involved in various groups and ministries, and currently Morgan leads our MOPS ministry. Before and after Morgan shares her message, Jennifer Schroeder and then Don Judd are going to share their stories today. So, prepare your hearts and minds to be blessed as God uses these three women to speak to us today. I'm Jennifer Schroeder, and I'm going to share my spiritual story with you. I would say my story is not a one-and-done, come-to-Jesus moment. I feel like my story has many layers. I once heard somebody share their testimony and compare it to an onion, and I could really relate to that because I feel like there's a lot of layers to my story. Um, Starting off when I was a really small child, I can remember kind of being a seeker. I remember asking a lot of questions as a small child, wondering who made me and why I was here. I often ran around saying, what if there was nothing? What would there be? That was my constant question to my parents. And um, I was raised in a home where my mom was Catholic, my dad was Jewish, and really what I knew about God was, you know, on holidays, we pretty much went to church. And as far as my dad's family went, um, when there was a Jewish holiday, we would go to family gatherings. They'd speak in another language and talk about Bible stories that I didn't really understand and I didn't really believe them. And as the years went by, um, my dad, who was actually Jewish, he became a Jew for Jesus and he, he started reading the Bible more and he started praying and a lot of that came into my home 
And I think what I learned most from him was how to start having a prayer life. But I think my prayers were more like Santa Claus-like prayers as a small child. And I just asked for things I wanted. And that was pretty much the extent of my relationship other than hearing some stories from the Bible from my dad. Um, as the years went by, I lived the kind of, um, I, I would say I probably lived my teenage years I would use the term wild living for it. Um, I live the way that most of my friends live because I hung out with people very similar to me, but not the way I would want my children to be living today. Um, I would probably say by the time I got to college, I was really spreading my wings and, and getting a little wild. I went off to school at Georgia Southern and um, I'll never forget, it was my freshman year and I was partying and having a good time and there was a girl in my English class and she would come up to me. She was the kind of girl I would describe today as having like light around her. She was just beautiful and, and always so friendly, looked you in the eye when she spoke and she had invited me to a, a talent show. And I remember she gave me an invitation and almost every week leading up to that talent show, she, or it was a fashion show actually, and she would ask me if I was going to see her there. And I kind of got to the annoyed point, but I felt obligated that I needed to go. So I tried to rally up some girls in my dorm and try to get them to go with me. And it was a go out night, nobody wanted to go. And I finally decided, all right, I'll go and then I'll meet y'all out. Well, I went there and there was a beautiful little fashion show. And at the end of the show, they said, do you know why you're here? And they basically told me that whoever invited me had been praying for me to come. And they shared some of the Bible with us. They shared, uh, you know, kind of their testimony. And they asked if we wanted to um, change our life to stand up and they would pray for us. Well, that day I cried and I stood up and people prayed for me. And I left there thinking, all right, this is it. I'm going to change my life. Well, of course, the next day nothing had changed. And I went back right to where I was, just my wild living, keep on going. Um, but I did leave there with a little bit of a conviction is what I would call it today. And um, I had this thought that I needed to change, but I didn't really understand it and know why. And I did um, decide to move home. And I later learned that they call this a geographic cure when you, you move thinking things will get better. Well, I moved home thinking maybe things will get better, maybe I'll slow down, but really, my wild living just continued. It's where it started and it just kept spinning out of control. I did start attending a church here and there with my dad and because of my curiosity, I remember when I finally graduated college, my dad said, why don't you go get your master's? I was trying to get a teaching degree at that point. He said, why don't you go to a Christian college so you can learn more about God? So I agreed to do it and um, signed up for a Christian college and it was one of those schools where they had you sign that you would not live the way the world lived and basically asked you not to do certain things and all those certain things I was doing. Of course, I found people just like me there and we signed the dotted line, but we still lived the way we lived. But all the while I was there, I learned um, stories from the Bible. I learned that, you know, the history of the Bible. I learned facts, but I also learned about uh, fear-based preaching because it was there that I heard this message that I wasn't good enough that I wasn't good enough to get to heaven. And I had this fear wrapped around that. And I almost didn't want anything to do with God at that point. Um, eventually, I graduated from there and um, met my husband. And we decided to move in together here in Charleston, of course, without my parents' blessing, because we weren't married. But 
we had moved into a neighborhood here in West Ashley, Melrose. And um, the night we were moving in, it was probably 11 o'clock at night, we were moving a real heavy washer machine. And our neighbor, two doors down, came over and helped us move it. And a few days later, we got to know him and his family, and they were just amazing. They were like a beam of light, kind of like the girl I met in college. There was something about them that I just couldn't figure out. Um, this family, most of y'all might know, is the Denton family who go here to Coastal. Well, as we got to know them, they never said they believed in God, they just lived it, and they invited us to come here to Coastal. And we came, that was 17 years ago, and we came here, and when we showed up, it was the most amazing place I had ever been to. I felt like I was expected to come. Everybody loved on us. They didn't care that we were living in sin. They didn't care that we reeked the night before. They loved on us. They hugged us. They welcomed us in. Um, here at Coastal, we, you know, we heard loving preaching. We heard, you know, that we were accepted as we were. We learned um, different things like how to have a quiet time. We learned how to tithe regularly. We learned how to join life groups and even serve here in the church. Things were going amazing for us. My husband and I even decided to um, get baptized. Well, all the while we were growing in Jesus at our own timetable, we were getting loved on. Um, just amazing things were happening. I still had this deep conviction, this thing that had been following me through the years, and I didn't really know what it was. And uh, what I do know today, and I didn't know then, was that my life had a sin. It had sin in it. And um, this sin was I was battling in my home with alcoholism. My husband and I were both raised in this wild living, and alcoholism had followed us through the years. And um, by the grace of God and, and learning to pray, I finally had the courage to share this hardship with actually Pastor Chris, but I didn't have the guts to say I had a problem. I only could admit that my husband did at the time, but just saying it freed me, just a, just a little bit enough to share with more people. And eventually I shared with a couple that actually attends here at Coastal, and um, they had been going through the same thing we were going through. Um, Unfortunately, my health was rocked because of alcohol. Our marriage was <laughs> on the rocks. Financially, we were just downward spiraling. I did many geographic cures. We moved neighborhood to neighborhood because I thought that would fix me. And I finally, the grace of God, was able to speak to this couple about what was going on. And with their help and help of prayer and a lot of other people, I was able to quit drinking. And a year later, my husband joined me. And because of that, my health was restored. Um, financially, we got better. Our relationship was restored. It was just transforming. Um, I know there are several more layers of this onion that God is gonna <laughs> reveal to me, and I look forward to it because I know he's not finished with me yet. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share my story. Good morning, Coastal. Thank you, Jennifer, for that powerful testimony and your bold faith for God to use you. I also want to say thank you to Rachel, Ashley, and Perry for going first in this series and allowing me to be my true self, which is a procrastinator, um, and getting to go last. Thank you also to Pastor Chris for asking me to be a part of this series. As PC said, I'm Morgan Wessel, and I've been attending Coastal for a little over five years. My husband Toby and I, we've been married for eight years, and we have three beautiful kids together, Olivia, who's six, Caroline, who's five, and Rhodes, who's almost 18 months. 
we have a big blended family together. I'm from a small family. Um, it's me, my mom, my dad, my brother, and we, they've all relocated to Charleston after me about 11 years ago. And then Toby, he has five siblings, four of which live here in Charleston along with their families and his parents. So there's a lot of us. There's about 30 all together, and that's made the quarantine real fun. We haven't really been able to follow any CDC guidelines of keeping it to a small group. His brother, Charlie, and his wife, Carol, are who originally invited us to Coastal, and since then, we've served in children's ministry, and we've participated, led, or hosted life groups. Um, I'm currently the coordinator for MOPS, which is Mother of Preschoolers. It's really for women with, that are pregnant and have children through um, kindergarten. So if you're not a part of MOPS already, this is my shameless plug. We'd love to have you. Today, I want to share the story of Rahab with you. Rahab's story is found in the book of Joshua. This really isn't your typical Sunday school story. Um, you probably didn't learn about it growing up in church. You might remember the part that follows afterwards, the story of Jericho. I remember playing a little game in Sunday school where the kids would stand in a circle and then one person would walk around and then all the kids would fall on the ground after the seventh time, kind of like the church version of Duck, Duck, Goose. But you probably didn't dive into Rahab's story, mostly because she was a prostitute. And Sunday school teachers don't really want to explain to school-aged children what a prostitute is. So if you're watching this at home with your kids, you're welcome. Many of you also think this is an unlikely story to pick. So far, we've heard about Mary, mother of Jesus, Esther, a young girl who becomes queen and saves her people, and then Mary and Martha, women who walked and talked with Jesus. When PC asked me to consider speaking, a whole list of women came to mind, the first of which was Ruth and her loyalty to her mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law, and I know that she's watching right now, and she's very supportive. But does anyone else have a healthy fear of living with their in-laws? I know it's not just me. So I moved on to a short list of women, and there really wasn't any reason that I didn't pick them. It was just that they felt like someone else's grandmother, sweet, kind, out to do good. My grandmother was a woman of God, but she was fiery, feisty. She was definitely the woman you wanted in your corner. She passed away as I prepared this message, so it seemed really fitting that I went with Rahab and not one of the good girls of the Bible. Um, Rahab was a woman who put her faith in God, even at great personal risk, to save her family. So I'm going to give you the drama. This story takes place after Moses has died and Joshua is leading the Israelites. This story is already 500 years in the making. I'm going to share now from Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. There's a little drama for you. Did they really need to stay the night? I don't know. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So I'm going to pause here. 
If you have read the Bible and think it's boring, you may just be reading it wrong. The books of the Bible are actually could all be different movie genres. Psalms would be a musical, the gospel, a biography series in four par parts, maybe on Netflix. My husband says Song of Solomon is an erotica. You'll have to read it. I went to a women's conference once where I heard the book of Ruth told as a telenovela, and it really changed the way that I read and understood the Bible. So here I see the book of Joshua and the story of Rahab as an action movie. I think Gladiator mixed with Braveheart and then Rahab is a heroine who's protecting these spies. I can definitely picture the spies hiding under the flaxseed and just like holding their breath scared to death. So let's skip down to verse eight and she explains why she lied to protect them. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. Kind of like my big blended family I was telling you about. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. So in case you got sidetracked at all at home, a prostitute just saved her family by lying to authorities and protecting two spies who she made promise to spare her family in return. So I'm gonna jump right into your outline. The first point is step out in faith. I think the first thing to note is how the opportunity to hide Joshua's men presented itself to Rahab. She didn't have to seek it out. She just had to lie in faith. Rarely are you gonna see this as an example in the Bible of faith but lying was what she needed to do to protect the spies, and she did it for good reason. Now, I'm not trying to tear down any men here or in the Bible, but God didn't have to appear to her in a burning bush to get her to take action, and he didn't have her swallowed up by a whale to give her faith. And the spies didn't need to explain or ask her to lie for them. She took action at once. I think sometimes women were pretty quick thinkers. My point is, you don't, men or women, need a neon sign to know when God is asking you to do something. I've heard Pastor Chris say several times that everything doesn't require a prayer chain or months of meditation for you to do it. If God's asking you to do something or calling you to do it and it's in your face, do it. Rahab acted in that moment and God rewarded her for it. Look down in chapter six, verses 22 and 23. Joshua said, to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. God rewarded her through Joshua and spared her life when Jericho's walls fell. I can really picture this again as part of a movie scene where her and her family are huddled together in her house, scared for their lives, wondering what's gonna happen next. They could probably hear the people marching around the city walls and then the walls come tumbling down, the spies rush in and grab her and lead her family out and you can see the whole city burning down behind her. God's definitely the superhero in this movie. Another thing to note from Rahab's story is God can 
and will use you in spite of your sin. And that is point two on your outline if you're still taking notes. Rahab didn't wait for the perfect storm, so to speak. We all know somebody or are that somebody who has an excuse of why they can't lead right now or they can't um, be on first impressions. Sundays are too early or my marriage is falling apart. Any excuse that you can think of, God put into your life to be an example to someone else or to mold and shape your character. You don't need all your stuff together for God to begin using you as a vessel for him. In 2018, I felt a very strong calling by God on my life. And I told God, which by the way, never works out right. You can't really tell him what you are or aren't gonna do, but I tried. (laughs) I had a lot going on right then. I was pregnant with our third child. I'd gone back to work. I was serving in other ministries. So I told God that I couldn't. If you're pregnant right now and you're watching this, do all the things because seriously, it's not going to get any easier after the baby comes. But isn't it true that we will give God our excuses when he's the one that put them into our life? They aren't excuses. They're just part of our story that he's trying to use. You just have to be willing. And Rahab was willing. In James chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, it says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. This reminds me of the old adage, actions speak louder than words. It might have come from this verse. It's saying that Rahab didn't just profess her faith. She backed it up with action. Her good works were lying to protect the spies, all in God's name. Let me ask you, how are you demonstrating faith in your life? Can you identify obedience or actions in your life? If you can't immediately think of a way, I want to invite you to participate in one of our community projects with Summer of Impact starting tomorrow through the whole month of June. It's a great way to love on our community and also to demonstrate your faith in action. So moving on, Rahab was willing, not ashamed. Having sin in our life doesn't make us weak. It makes us in need of God, and we all are. And God doesn't need you to be perfect to use you. People don't want a perfect Paula leading them in a life group or teaching them on a Sunday morning. Rahab was far from perfect. She was a prostitute. She could have easily played the sinner card and said, God doesn't want me. He only wants his chosen people, the Israelites that were right in front of her. But if she had said that, her family would have died with the rest of Jericho, but instead they were saved. Moving on to point three, only God is all-knowing. Only he can know how he will use you. Did Rahab know that God was going to spare her life and then use her in the lineage of Jesus? No, only he knew that. It's kind of like when people say their vote doesn't count, even though they don't know the outcome of the election yet. I've heard people say it before. I'm not going to vote. It's only one vote, or it's not going to make a difference. And then we end up with a reality star as our president. Or maybe God wanted it that way. But the point is, only he knows. Our vote, our obedience, our actions, they matter. While we can't see how God will use us, we do know he wants us to be obedient. He will use us, and it may be big or it may not, but it's all important to him and an important part of his plan for our life. Rahab couldn't see what God had planned. Rahab went on to marry Solomon, the father of Boaz, who married Ruth and fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. Rahab is the great-great-grandmother 
of David, the magnificent psalmist. She's also in the lineage of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And you can find um, more of the lineage of Jesus in, chap- in Matthew chapter 1, if you're interested. So in closing, I wanted to share with you why I relate to Rahab, or more why I admire her. Days before my 20th birthday, I found out I was pregnant. Despite growing up in a loving Christian home and being part of a Southern Baptist church upbringing, which I was at all the time, I didn't turn to my family or the church or take responsibility. Instead, weeks later, I had an abortion. I hid this from my parents and my friends and my drinking increased, trying to conceal the pain and the shame that I was feeling with having a good time. Things were starting to spiral out of control for me, and this continued for years, even after moving to Charleston. I was feeling shame and unworthiness. I really couldn't find love for myself, but God definitely has perfect timing, and that's when I met my husband. I struggled with what I shared here with you today. How could God use me in spite of my past, in spite of the sin that I'd been living in? He used my now husband to show me that I was still lovable. The person I was then is almost unrecognizable to me because of my past, I didn't feel like I deserved a family. And it wasn't until I realized that God could use my imperfect state in spite of my past, in spite of the present that I was living in. I remember um, before meeting my husband thinking, when I stop dating this guy or that guy, I'll start going to church again. Or once I was in church thinking, when I stop drinking, I'll really start living my life for him. But God wants us to know we don't have to stop something to start. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, you can start living your life for God now. God used Rahab and he's now using me and he wants to use you too. The more the change will come, the closer you get to God, the more time you spend with him. So I mentioned earlier that I felt a strong calling on my life in 2018. God was very clearly telling me that I had a story to tell. I could hear the words, but I suppressed his calling I tried to use every excuse I could think of, being too busy, being pregnant with our third child, um, not feeling like there was a place for me. But God had his way, and earlier this year, PC called me and asked me to be a part of this series. I want to leave you with this last verse. I marked it in my Bible app on June 27, 2018, and made a note that if I were to ever stop making excuses and tell my story, I would share this verse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3-5, through 5, in the Message Translation, Paul says to the Corinthians, I was unsure of how to go about this. I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want to know the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else, but the message came through anyway. God's Spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power. So this is how I feel today, like Paul. I feel inadequate to deliver the message, but because of God's power, I have stepped out in faith. And sharing Rahab's story and a little bit of my own with you, I hope that God's message for you has come through anyways. Now let's hear from Dawn and her powerful testimony. Hello, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Dawn Judd, and I would like to share my story with you. I grew up in the Catholic Church. I was a kindergarten through 12th grade Catholic schoolgirl chapel every week, religion class every day kind of Catholic. But in 1989, my world began to change. I met my husband, Rafe. 
Even though he had been raised in the Methodist Church, he agreed to get married in the Catholic Church and to raise our kids in the Catholic faith. We began attending church together. He would ask me to explain why we did things the way we did and what was the reason for the traditions and the teachings. But I had no idea of the answers. It was then that I began to question what I had been taught my entire life. We then began to bounce around to different churches, trying to find what felt right for us. But no place ever felt right. No place ever felt like it was where we belonged. In 1997, we had our first child, Jordan Lynn. My old Catholic ways kicked in and I was worried about getting her baptized. I contacted a priest from my childhood whom I adored and he told me I did not need a priest for her to be baptized, that I could ask for God's blessing on her life myself. But when our second daughter Presley was born less than two years later, the frantic need to become planted in a church led us to become members of a Presbyterian church. When the girls were ready to enter preschool, we started them at a local denominational church school and it was then that we began to worship there. Fast forward several years. We lost my mother-in-law to lung cancer. A few short years later, my father-in-law was in a near fatal car crash and subsequently moved in with our family of four. Then the following year, we lost my mom to suicide. To say the least, our family was lost, hopeless, and became separated from God. We all made bad choices. We were a broken family and broken became the new normal. During this time, the church we had attended for 12 years turned its back on us, making us feel unaccepted because we had made mistakes. I had never felt more hurt or angry with God. I turned away from Him completely. I could not understand how He had allowed all of this pain in our family. We continued on like this for many years, being just Christmas and Easter attenders. There was no mistaking we knew we needed Him in our lives, but none of us knew how to get back to Him. Then last year, our oldest returned from a three-month study program where God had really begun to work in her heart. She walked up to us and said, I want us to go to church this weekend. And we simply said, okay. So off to Coastal we went on Sunday morning. There was not an aha moment like many people think there should be when God changes you. But that Sunday, He began a true awakening in me. We quickly got involved in a life group where I felt more accepted, even with all my imperfections, than I ever had before. These people loved me and encouraged me every week. I began to feel changed, and that is when I knew I needed to be baptized to receive a new life with Christ. learning that I don't have to have it all figured out to be an example of God's love to others. In fact, it is just the opposite. God wants me and all of my imperfections. This is why God guides us to surround ourselves with faithful followers to help us, to support us, and to encourage us. My faith grows stronger every day, and He is still working in me. I now read and reflect on His Word every day. I am learning more and more how to use the skills God has given me to be the hands and feet of Jesus in all that I do. The church is not a building, 
I am the church, you are the church, together we are the church. Volunteering at Coastal and in our community is one of the greatest ways to spread God's love and to feel God working in my heart. Being saved, born again, whatever the word is for you, does not mean that me or my life is magically perfect. I am far from anything perfect. But what it does mean is that I have hope for tomorrow and know that my Father is a forgiving Father. I am not excused, but I am forgiven. This is my story. Thank you so much, Jennifer, Morgan, and Dawn. You know, this really has been a great, great series. And all the women who have spoken and shared, they have done such a tremendous job. God has truly spoken through each and every one of you. And I'm, I, for one, am looking forward to hearing from more women from Coastal in the future. You know, the lesson of Rahab and the lesson of so many people in the Bible and each one of these women in this series is that our God loves to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that means he wants to use people just like you and just like me. But here's the truth. An awful lot of people today just don't believe that. Maybe some of you. You know, you can say it out loud, you can hear those words in your mind, but personally and practically in your own heart, you just don't believe it. Here's why. You think you've blown it too bad. You think that your past is just too messed up and you've done things and experienced things that in your own mind, you know, they disqualify you from ever being used by God in a great way. That really is the story of Rahab. But Rahab chose to put her faith in God and as a result, listen to this, the prostitute became a princess. And there are many people, again, many of you who just feel like, you know, Pastor Chris, not for me. That sounds great. I mean, that's a great inspirational story and great words, but not for me. You see, you just don't know my past, Pastor Chris. You don't know my failures. You don't know what I've done. And I'd say you're right. I don't. But God does. And he loves you. You matter to him. And he's got a great plan for your life. And he says you're worth it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God put it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Our God is ready and waiting to make you brand new in Christ. Now, how does that happen? Well, just like it says in Scripture, in Christ. We are forgiven and made brand new through our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you're watching this, and you're ready to place your faith in Christ and come to Him, you can do it right here and right now in a prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. Just like Rahab, I have a past. I've done things and said things that, quite honestly, I'm ashamed of. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I admit it. But today, I turn away from that. I turn from my past, and I turn in faith toward your son, Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive. And today, I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. And for the rest of my life, until you come again or call me home, I just want to follow Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that simple prayer of faith, if you took that one step of faith, the Bible says you are a brand new person. The old is gone and the new has come. You have been made alive in Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to do right now. 
let us know about that decision that you made today. And it's so simple here at Coastal. Just go to our online connect card, and I want you to check that box that says, I gave my life to Christ today. We'd love to follow up with you, even send you a little book that I wrote called The Next Step for Your Journey. Listen, thank you so, so much for joining us today, for tuning in. And I hope personally that you have a great, great day today. And I can't wait to see you next week, either online or in person. Have a great week.